You're listening to an episode of the Elephant in the Room podcast brought to you by the Purpose Room in partnership with the India Justice Report. Each month, we will bring to you insights on the workings of the Indian justice system. We will also explore the notion of justice and what it means to Indians. This is episode four of the Elephant in the Room podcast brought to you in partnership with the India Justice Report. In this episode, I spoke with two highly regarded ex-police officers who've made significant contribution to the reform of policing in India. Jacob Punus is the ex-DGP and the State Police Chief of Kerala, and Jayanta Chaudhary served in senior positions in the Assam Meghalaya cadre before retiring as DG of the NSG. Thank you everyone for being a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast and making time in your busy day to be here today. Thank you, Mr. Jayanto Chaudhary and Jacob Punus for being here. And thank you, Maya and Valeb for being there to support us today. I'll get started with the questions. So to start with, can you tell us what ails Indian policing? The recent India Justice Report points out the capacity deficits that the police struggles with. Would you be able to elaborate on the conditions of work, perhaps, and the structures, the internal culture? And we could start with uh, Jayanto. Well, that's a very interesting subject you brought up. And I think we'll take it one by one. And you have listed several questions. Let us first start with working conditions. In most states, you have the armed police and you have the civil police. The armed police is overdeployed and it's under-equipped. They normally have to handle public order situations. And the civil police are understaffed and very thinly spread in most states. There are some states like Tamil Nadu, which have a very, very good... Uh, spread of police stations, but most states, and maybe Kerala as well, but most states, and I'm talking my, my experience in the East, whether it's Bengal or whether it's Assam, that is the situation. Now, hygiene factors are poor. The um, police to population ratio is inadequate and accommodation provided to police personnel, again, there's a shortage and it's substandard. Now, if you can improve these and ensure off-duty time, you will actually reduce the stressors that impact on behavior of individuals in the police force. Burnout and even post-traumatic stress disorder, these are occupational hazards in field policing. You know, 14, 16-hour day without a weekly off is quite normal. And uh, working on festivals and holidays is a must. In terms of structure, I'm only now looking at civil police. There's one civil police for every 14 to 1500 of the population. That's against one is to 500 in the US. And in India, the role of the police is far, far wider than what is expected from a police officer in Western countries. Now in the US, they spend about 350 USD, US dollars per capita on policing. In India, we spend about US dollar one. And uh, we still continue with the cheap model of uh, colonial policing. You must remember that when we were a colony, naturally the rulers didn't want to spend too much on police. Their interest was revenue. So they didn't spend much on the police and they expected the police by and large to live off the land. Now, 80% of the police or more uh, are the constabulary. And they have a very basic entry-level training. 
in most states. Again, as I said, India has many states. Some states are better than others. But Mr. Punos comes from a state that is way up there. I have served in states that are way down there. So I will go to the lowest common, so to speak, factor. And he'll probably speak of the uh, more advanced states. Now, most states have no career progression to speak of. The HR, human resource policies are quite outdated. And what's been happening in the past 40, 50 years is whenever there's been a problem of policing, the solution found is to expand and spend more resources on central armed police forces or central police organizations. Perhaps the perception is that central forces and agencies are less subject to local pressures, that they're better organized and professionally more capable. But if citizen-centric policing is indeed an objective, a pivot back to states policing is needed. And if you recall, this was envisaged in the constitution. If there are weaknesses in the state policing, remedies must be explored and capabilities upgraded with central support. Jacob, considering that there is a lot of work that you did in Kerala to advance the police forces, bettering it, what are your thoughts? Sudha, I agree with whatever Jayendo has just now said. These are big problems for all the police forces in India. If we want to have good policing, the primary prerequisite is that policemen must be enabled to do good policing. Just calling a man a policeman, he cannot become a good policeman. You have to ensure that he is backed up with the necessary resources to do good policing. Now, as Jendo just now outlined, the primary problem is gross understaffing of India's police stations. If I may share the figures, last year we had about 2.2 million policemen in all the states put together. That's a fairly large number. But if you take the actual number working in police stations, for example, the state of Delhi has got almost 75,000 policemen. But how many of them are working in police station? If you, if you just take the count, you will find that all over India, less than 5.5 lakh persons working in police stations. Most of the police personnel are working either in armed police units or in special units or with regard to VIP security or in crime branch or in intelligence something things like that. Now, basic policing, ensuring the security of the people, responding to the needs of the people, all this are happening in the police station. And there we are grossly understaffed. Even now, there are many police stations in India where the strength in a police station is only 10 or 15. It is here that we need to increase our strength. Our colonial priority was to ensure that the people do not rebel. And therefore, a lot of stress was on that order policing. Policing as a service to the citizen. When citizen needs the policeman, the policeman should be there at the police station. This is the responsibility of a democratically elected government. This is a guarantee given under the constitution to protect the life and property of every citizen. So when the citizen seeks the aid of a police station for protecting his life, dignity, or property, there must be policemen there. It's in this matter that we have sometimes not been up to the mark. So increasing the strength of the police station. 
I have experimented with this and we have been able to ensure that almost 50% of Kerala's total police person are in the police stations. That makes a lot of difference. For example, instead of keeping women police in the Mahla battalions, but if you put even half that number in the police stations, that improves the quality of policing. So when women and children come to the police station, the presence of women in the police station makes a lot of difference and to the culture of service that prevails in the police station. So this is very, very important. And the other thing is that uh, Jayanto pointed out, very, very important. When you don't have enough number of policemen in a police station, you cannot give them rest. They have to put in 16 hours of duty. And often they are not given any weekly off you know, for months together. They don't spend time with their family. Their physical health, their mental health, all this is nobody's concern. You expect policemen to behave. Well, how can they behave if they are constantly under such stress? They have to attend to a variety of jobs. None of these matters gets enough attention or gets any priority in any dispensation. As Jando rightly pointed out, if you consider the expenditure on policing by the states of India as a fraction of the gross domestic product or the per capita income of a citizen, you will find it, it is so minuscule. If you compare it to the developed country and then compare the share that the citizen gives to the police out of his per capita income, it is just a small amount. When you buy the cheapest model, you get the worst move. That's what is happening. You don't spend money on the police. In fact, I recently calculated that even in Kerala, where the budget is reasonably good, I have calculated and found that the total amount of money spent by the people of Kerala on subscribing to Kerala's newspapers in an year are less than the money that the government spends on police. More money is spent on reading about the police rather than on giving the police necessary resources with which they can work. Now, this is a distortion. This has to be seriously corrected. I'm very thankful to Jayanto for pointing out this huge gulf which exists between our expectations from the police and our ability to marshal resources and place it at the police station so that the police can serve the citizens better about duty time, about leave, about their training, about their career advancement. The very important matter, so 95% of this 24 lakh police personnel, 75% are constables. Perhaps 20% are head constables. So the balance is 5%. Uh, in that 5%, the ASI, Assistant Sub-Inspector, Circle Inspector, they may come to about 3 or 4%. And the top, from the DGP, to the DYSP or the assistant commissioner, as he's called, that portion will be only less than 1% of the total strength of India's uh, police force. Now, if you want to prefer a charge sheet in court, if you want to investigate a case, if you want anything done, then some sub-inspector has to do it. And how many sub-inspectors do we have? So therefore, we are limiting our ability to investigate cases by limiting the number of sub-inspectors that we have. You know, I had a personal experience. When I joined as an assistant superintendent of police in 1977 in Telicherry, after finishing my training, I had an assistant. That person had completed 37 years of service. He had joined the Malabar Special Police at the age of 79 and a half or something. 
when he was when he was retiring after the 37 years of service he was still a constable he was still a constable. that is the kind of career progression that we speak of in the police the policeman has nothing to look forward to so you are expecting much you are looking forward to a policeman who personally has nothing to look forward to. so how can you improve anything so in kerala we have done several things to improve this now now every single policeman who gets into kerala's police services can aspire to retire at least as a sub inspector and if he has joined rising to the rank of an inspector police is a great thing for a person who has joined as now that keeps him motivated if he is to rot in the department for 30 years as a constable you can't teach him anything he is not enthusiastic about learning anything he is not committed to acquiring more skills or technology nothing therefore another great reform that must happen is to ensure that the percentage of constabulary that means the head constable and constable in india's police forces are brought down to 50% in the other 50% must be assistant sub inspectors sub inspectors inspectors and dgps and all so this is not happening the minute we do this we will have a motivated police force which has got high degree of motivation to rise up in the ranks so this is like really an eye opener i mean seven decades after independence we are still running the police forces how the colonial masters ran it and of course and here the challenges from both of you it's not going to be easy to change but there also has to be that mindset difference the most interesting thing is the supreme court everybody is improving the service condition of the dgp how you should be selected but dgps don't really matter what matters are the constables and the head constables who deliver 95% of the services delivered by the police we're going to segue into the next question jacob and that i'll direct to you so in 2006 the supreme court gave seven directions aimed at ensuring arms length supervision by the political executive better internal fairness and transparency and better accountability many states have tweaked their laws what has kerala done that could be replicated by other states uh, or in other states and if there were three things that you uh, think looking back have worked to improve public trust in policing what are those three things we have implemented most of the supreme court uh, directives but i have my reservations about the effective supreme court directives in improving policy because supreme court has not addressed the basic problem of who will bell the cat so the cat is seen as the politician in government now as long as the cat is there and the cat has got the power belling the cat is a difficult proposition so political interference in the working of the police cannot be stopped by ensuring that the dgp has a tenure because now what is happening is that dgps are selected so carefully that the most amiable amenable and accommodating person gets a chance to serve in that particular office this is uniformly happening all over india if you look at the selection process of the dgps in all the states during all these times post 2006 particularly after 2014 after which the supreme court has been stricter in ensuring that the dgp selection is done in a, in a very very systematic manner you will find that the most amenable ones have been selected it has not made any difference to the quality of uh, uh, policy 
because ultimately the problem is what i said earlier what is happening at the police station level the supreme court has forgotten about the police station improving the police station functioning ensuring that there is better service delivery insisting that better resources are placed for the police these things have never looked into so kerala has done much to improve policing at the police station level so i would like to dissociate from the concept that a great good can result from carrying out the supreme court directives because for example one directive is with regard to separation of law and order from investigation now separation of law and order from investigation everybody will in principle like there's not a single soul in india who will oppose that but if you want to implement that in the field at the police station level you have to at least double the strength of police available in the police station then only that separation is possible the supreme court directives are silent on that and there is no mechanism no means by which this can be ensured so if if you suggest something that this may be done is a good thing but unless these things are supported with the means to do it 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 will fail then again about tenure system because it does not answer the question if there is a misdemeanor on the part of the sub inspector if there's a misdemeanor on the part of the deputy superintendent of police what is the mechanism to be adopted so the benefit of the supreme court directives have not been actually received by the citizenry most states have implemented it kerala also has implemented it. and another great experiment has been the state security commission the state security commission there has been a coming together of the leader of opposition by the chief minister women of the high court etc but the attitude the attitude about policing with regard to the state security commission is not a very positive one this is what uh, i have found it is to be used constructively that was the intention when the state security commission was suggested that there will be a meeting of minds that there will be a common purpose to attain excellence in policing so generally the point is everybody is keen to point out the faults of policing particularly to make the ruling party appear in a bad light and therefore there is aversion on the part of the ruling parties also to give a major role to the state security commission or to pack the state security commission with people favorable to them now the supreme court void is a supreme court directive and practically all the states have state security commission now but it is not functioning in a very desirable way because ultimately the problem is resources for the police conditions of service of the police and accountability of the police this is the most important you should have a strong mechanism for police inaction overzealous police action and police atrocities these three activities of the police they must be made accountable for that and such accountability mechanisms have to be uh, strengthened and supreme court has given that directive also unfortunately most of the states are not very strong on the accountability mechanisms and police department is also not very keen about accountability yeah. so we are still some time away from building public trust in policing because of what you have said so moving on to the next question there are many uh, theories of reform what have other countries done on community policing or professional policing janta i'd like to come to you with this question policing is actually contextual if you look at sir robert peel's met in the uk that was a need that was thrown up by the urban <laughs> prol uh, that grew after the industrial revolution in england 
Now, if you look at in the US in the 1920s, August Walmer's reforms that led to professional policing, these were triggered by the economic growth in the US after the First World War, technological innovations like the telephone, the wireless, the motor car, and the emergence of organized crime. But even the other eras of reform in the US in the 1960s and in the 1990s that increased support of the federal government for improving capabilities of local-centric law enforcement in the US is local-centric, and the engagement of academia with policing practice. More recently, say in uh, President Obama's time, there was a US president's task force on 21st century policing. That called for a return to greater engagement with the community and a change from the trend of increasing militarization of the police after the 9-11 uh, terror attacks. Now in the UK, the Police Reforms and Social Accountability Act of 2011 gave authority to elected police and crime commissioners to give directions regarding priorities to the chief constables of counties and to hold them accountable for performance. Of course, the Home Office continues to identify strategic policing requirements that need capacities and coordination to deal with issues that spill over local boundaries such as terrorism, mass disturbances or organized crime and major cyber incidents. But basically, the movements in the US and the UK, the two democracies that we, we kind of look forward to learn from or to model after, primarily depends on the context. Now in the US, again, as you know, after the Black Lives Matter movement, there have been a big pressure for defunding the police and other things. So they're also going through a churning at the moment. Now in the UK, the previous government cut down. They said, no, you have to cut down the strength. And that impacted on the policing performance. Now they've again reversed it. And now I think the UK government is again funding hiring of police officers in the counties. So essentially, the whole movement for reform has been based on, number one, the context, and number two, on developments, particularly technology, that have taken place. But please remember, in the US, for example, policing and law and order is always a theme that comes up in elections. Most politicians in many states, they stand on a law and order platform. Unfortunately, in India, we are yet to reach that level, though I found in the last elections, there was some talk of uh, policing and law and order. But essentially, the public have to be engaged. They have to show that they demand better policing, that they demand uh, better crime control, that they demand better safety for women. That has to come in. And hopefully, the first steps have been taken. As Mr. Punus was talking about the Supreme Court directive, that's the first step. He's right. There have been many, many commissions. There have been committees that talked about uh, reform. You had the uh, second National Police Commission in the late 70s. Then you had the Malipan Commission. Then you had the second Administrative Reforms Commission. And of course, you had the Supreme Court directives. Essentially, in India, what they're looking for changes is, number one, they want a clearer definition of the police role with greater specialization. And as Mr. Punu said, the intention was good. They wanted to insulate the police leadership from outside pressure. They want greater investment in technology. They want training to be designed to create a more people-friendly police. But as Mr. Punus pointed out, they have very nicely stated intentions. For example, the learned Supreme Court recently 
they asked for CCTV cameras in every police station of the country. They're looking at 16, 17,000 police stations. The idea is very good. You have CCTV cameras, you can monitor what's happening. But after the intention, someone has to develop it. How much is it going to cost? Who's going to pay for it? How is the feed going to be analyzed? What's going to happen after that? So these things, it is not for the Supreme Court to do, but the governments have to build up the entire infrastructure. And that has not been done. And that is why all these highfalutin intentions remain where they are. They remain as intentions that we talk about and we discuss, but the implementation is very poor. If I may talk a little bit about, about accountability that Mr. Punus had mentioned, you know, he's right. Accountability is important. It's the first step. But how do you make people accountable? You have to establish standards. You have to establish SOPs. After you have these SOPs and standards and you train police personnel adequately and repeatedly, then you can hold them accountable for deviations. Then they can't say, I was only obeying orders or I didn't, didn't know how to do this. Now, like in other domains, even in the police, people don't want to be accountable. And fr frankly, in the police, uh, very often we believe that outsiders lack the competence to judge police actions in context. And Mr. Punu, when he pointed out criticism of the police, it's, it's true. Rarely do you find there's consistent applauding of positive behavior by the police. If I may, before ending, I'll just share one small incident. In Assam, we have a state police accountability commission that is headed by a retired high court chief justice. And they have people from civil society, they have a former police officer and so on. Now, there was a case where uh, a police party went to arrest a dreaded murderer who had a non-bailable warrant. And they caught him of his house and he came and he attacked the police party. So one of the constables shot him dead. Now, the State Police Accountability Commission asked me as the DGP to appear before it. Remember, under the Assam Police Act, the DGP is bound to follow the directions of the state. He has no discretion. So I appeared before them and they asked me a very simple question. They said, why did the constable fire two shots and not one? Show me your SOP. Show me the SOP which says that he has to fire two shots and not one. So if you want accountability, I think much more study has to go into standards for delivery of services. Much more study has to go into defining SOPs. Now, again, I would like to talk about public perception, but I'll go back to you. And after you speak to Mr. Panuz, I, I can get back on that perhaps. Jacob, do you have uh, any thoughts on this? Would you like to add something to this? About things which are happening in the West, where the resources allocated to the police are far, far higher than any type of resources we are able to muster. But some of the techniques adopted by Western police forces, like community policing, it is extremely successful in getting public to trust the police. Our experience during the last... Uh, 12, 15 years, has been very, very happy with regard to the role of community policing in developing a public trust. See, if the policing has to be meaningful and successful, it has to be accessible to the people. If it is to be accessible to the people, then the victims of crime, they should feel happy and free to come to the police station. They should not be so much afraid of the police that they are afraid to come to the police station to complain about a crime in which they have been victimized. Now, we, I can say with some confidence that except in the case of you know, rape victims, 
Now, this has been overcome by Kerala police. If you go to an average Kerala police station now, you can find hundreds of people coming to complain about things. And this goes against the conventional wisdom of media of judging police efficiency by the statistics. Whether crime has come down, they keep on asking. Actually, my experience is that when police are more efficient, the total registered crime will go up. If you want to, if you want any statistics on this regard, compare the statistics of rape in Sweden with statistics of rape in Delhi or Bombay. And Sweden, the Scandinavian countries, are supposed to be the safest for women. Actually, when we are very efficient in protecting somebody, then even the most minor incident will take cognizance of it and take action on it. So a large number of small violations will come to the police if the public have confidence in the police. Yesterday's Times of India has also given this comparative figures. We have achieved the lowest murder rate in India. About 30 years back, we were on a par with the rest of India in our murder rate. Now, this year, we have a murder rate lower than Switzerland, lower than England, lower than that of New Zealand. These are the three least murder-prone areas in the world. We have achieved that. At the same time, if you compare with the rest of India, our case registration for assault is the highest in India. In so many other categories of crime, our registration is far higher. If you have a public which trusts the police, they will come and tell the police everything. The number of complaints will rise. And when the number of complaints will rise, the police force should have the capability to respond to those complaints. So keeping a low crime figure is a technique by saying that we are free from crime. Now, there's a very strange thing about India's statistics. You will find that if you, if you look at the crime in India, you will find that number of thefts in India would have disappeared by now. In 2010, we had half the number of thefts which we had in 1974. The thing is that nobody is registering theft cases. But fortunately for people like us, we have found that automobile thefts are going up. That is because registration of a case for automobile theft cannot be avoided because there is an insurance uh, situation. If, you, if your vehicle is stolen, you will insist that a case be registered. If your pocket has been picked, you won't be keen about getting a case registered. So our uh, tolerance level of crime has increased in direct proportion to the inability of the police to recover your lost property. So the more efficient the police, the more the number of crimes that will be reported to you. So the, the media's preoccupation with statistics, saying that more crime registration is a bad thing and less crime registration is a good thing, is not at all true to facts and it will result in bad policing throughout, or doctoring of figures, all these things. Every DG will claim that during my time, crime has come down. When I was DG, I proudly proclaimed that when I became DGP Kerala, I had, Kerala had only one lakh cases. When I retired, we had five lakhs. At least, you know, four lakh people come to the police station with a complaint. They trust the police yeah. more. Yeah. In a free society, some amount of crime will always be there. And therefore, the ability of the police force is to keep the crime in check. Take note of the crime, identify the victim, see that the victim is properly looked after, compensate. So the city of London has registers almost 9,000 crimes to the per lakh population. The Indian average is only 300. Is Indian policing therefore 30 times better than that of London policing? Absolutely not. Only thing is that our non-registration must be about 100 times more the non-registration that is happening in Britain. So if you want to improve that, 
you should definitely have community policing. The police force, if it is to develop public trust, invariably, you have to have mechanisms by which children trust the police. I may sound stupid, but if you want public trust, children should learn to trust the police. Because you don't start trusting the police after you become 18 years old. If as a child, you have not trusted the police. It's not something which you intellectually comprehend. I must trust the police and therefore I trust them. No. The way you have been brought up. So the level of interaction by the police with school children, that must increase. And in Kerala, we have developed such a scheme which is extremely popular. In 2010, we started with great hesitation, just 100 schools. Now, every school, every school in Kerala is clamoring for the student police cadet. That is a policeman going to the school and interacting with the students. That is basically it. They are not being recruited to the police. They are not being recruited for any police duty. They are only made aware of their responsibilities as a citizen, how they should look after the school's own security, how they themselves are responsible for security, their own security. Yeah. These kind of things are exchange. And that feeling that this legal system is there to protect me. And therefore, those who enforce the law are really protecting me. And therefore, we must trust the police to do things for us. We must depend upon the police. This kind of message gets across to children. Encouraged by the success, recently, the government of Kerala has started, again, many people may laugh, saying that policing is not child's play. We are now starting a scheme of child-friendly police stations. Already 120 police stations, architecturally, they have been designed to become child-friendly. Absolutely. So there's a lot of learning, as you said, from the U.S. and U.K. and community policing is essential and, of course, building trust. Moving on, even without legislation or reliance on outside factors, what can police leadership do now and immediately to prevent abuse of power and process, torture, and ensure safer environments and increase trust. We've been talking about trust through this conversation. What is the low-hanging truth that you see from your own experience? And what can be done by the supervisory classes themselves at the police station? About torture, torture is strictly no-no. Torture should be punished. Torture should not be encouraged. And it can be checked if you have got better forensics and better surveillance and supervision over police stations. Now, my experience has been from 2006 onwards, Supreme Court directions on camera. We started this camera system in our lockups in 2006. By the time I became DGP in 2008, my predecessor had arranged to put cameras in all the lockups in there. So that is a very big step. Now that forced several people to shift the venue of the torture from the police station to a higher premises. So as long as a police station is a bastion where nobody else can come in except policemen, then it becomes a convenient place for torture. Now, the access of media to several places, guidelines with regard to reporting, norms of arrest. So torture is extremely rare, extremely rare in Kerala. Most of the complaints which are coming up with regard to torture is violence. Nowadays, I find it is not actually torture in custody. It is physical force used by police personnel while taking a person into custody, while arresting somebody or while chasing somebody. Now, most of the acts of violence reported now where, where deaths indeed occur, in those instances, we find that most of the incidents now reported relate to 
use of force in the act of getting hold of somebody or somebody attacking the police, trying to escape, things like that. This custodial torture in the classical sense, getting a person, torturing him to elicit a confession to prove a crime, that has stopped. Better forensic also has helped him in this regard. Better technology has helped in this regard. And one technological leap that has actually helped in this regard is the converting the system of registration of crime online. Even in the remotest police station, if a case is registered, that case is registered online. So that backdating of a case becomes difficult. Becomes difficult. In fact, people who are not in the police will not understand this. If torture and extracting confessions, etc., is to have any value, the sub-inspector should be able to go back in time or go forward in time to show that what happened yesterday actually happened today or what happened today has happened yesterday. So the control over general diary gives him that power. And not many people outside the police subculture knows of, know about this. Immediately when the registration crime number of a particular police station is put now centrally in Trivandrum, even if the case is registered in Kasserpur, you cannot interpose a new crime or leave a blank crime or leave space for a crime. So this had actually a very big effect on preventing conventional torture. Chayanta, would you like to come in? First, I, I think the question to ask is, why do the police use third degree? There could be more than uh, one reason. There could be a few sociopaths who feel that their power entitles them to use whatever means is required. But by and large, uh, usually it is pressure on the police for results. You know, everybody's against torture, except if there's a suspect who's stolen something from your house, if there's someone who has raped someone known to you, then you're very keen on torture yourself. So the pressure of the police for quick results, I think, is perhaps one major reason for officers to use third degree. Apart from the small minority of sociopaths, one is, of course, I would again stress on training. There are ways, in fact, trainings today, they're, they're using technology to reduce bias. And there's no reason why that cannot be adapted to even, I think, orient officers against torture. That's the using of training and technology. And what Mr. Punuz mentioned, that will be of great help so far as the victims are concerned. So far as suspects are concerned, I think some states have brought it out for certain categories of crime. You follow a process of investigation and you accept that like for doctors, there are some cases that you will solve and some cases you will not solve. Mr. Punus mentioned this. The systems are in place for supervision. The systems are in place when a person is arrested, if he's kept in lockup at night, the officers at different levels are supposed to be informed. And if you go for night rounds, if you find somebody, if, if those systems are implemented, then the chances for abuse to be in, in police custody does reduce. And finally, I would say accountability. In India, torts are very weak. If someone has third degree news and he goes to court and asks for financial relief, I've read some judgments of the Allahabad High Court and others giving relief. And there was a case also in by the Tripura State Police Accountability Commission where they imposed five lakhs on an officer who had used third degree. But if a police officer uses third degree, knowing that, uh, to use Mr. Punus's words, it's a no-no, then he knows he's liable for both criminal action and a civil liability. Can I just come in here for a minute? Yes, Maya. Thank you. Because we have so little time, Jayanto and Mr. Punus, 
if you were to just tick off five things on your fingers, five priorities toward better policing, which the seniors in the police force itself, given all the circumstances, given all the pressures, given all the shortfalls, what are the five things that as the leader of a present day police force, you could put into place to initiate better policing? I'm not talking about wholesale reform, just better policing for the public that would build trust, that would help to build confidence and catch people who are wicked, and at the same time be within the four corners of the law. Okay. Now, as Maya had said, there are macro issues, there are policy issues, and that has to be taken care of, and that perhaps is being addressed by many states. But there are things that you can do yourself. Let's look at, for example, training. There are some aspects of training that require investment. There are others that can be done by the force itself. Polishing people's investigative techniques, reviewing what they're doing, that is something certainly that any police leader can do at the district level or above. Now, the second is, so far as the, the police image is concerned, the police is a very hierarchical kind of force in most states, more so in, in North India. I think maybe it's a little less in South India and, and maybe you know, even the Northeast. But it is a very hierarchical force and the image at the lowest rung is, is quite poor. Uh, I wouldn't say often, but sometimes they're not treated very well by their own leaders. Now, um, building up self-esteem, respecting each police personnel, as an officer, as much an officer of the law as a senior most, that I think will have a, a good impact. And what we had started about when Mr. Punus had talked about the low number of sub-inspectors, to today, many constables who join the force, graduates, postgraduates, and I believe I haven't come across any, but I believe even some PhDs have joined the police. Now, these are qualified people. There is no reason why they cannot be given a greater police role. In Assam, I got the government to issue a notification. And I'm not the only state. Other states have also done it. I wanted to go down to qualified constables uh, who had certain competencies. But there I was blocked by my own officer. said, don't, don't rush. Don't uh, run before you can walk, sir. So I went with them. So head constables. We got a government notification enabling head constables to investigate simple cases. And that completely enlarged the pool of police officers and did wonders for their image. So today, when you have such educated people coming in, improving their image is going to be a great thing. Simple welfare measures. I'm sure uh, Mr. Purush will agree. Again, Kerala and all these states, they're in a different category. I'm talking about more states. You'll find in many districts and, and the state, uh, guest houses for police officers are reasonably good. But if you go to the barracks of the constables and others, you'll find very often they may not even be having uh, good bathrooms. I mean, not even usable bathrooms. Even the barracks, they may not be having basic beds and so on. So these small things can do a lot for them. Then again, what uh, Mr. Punus had talked about promotions. It's not rocket science that there are some posts that the government will agree to be upgraded. So you create promotional avenues for the force and you see the big difference. So you tweak this thing, you make sure that the, a police officer, if he goes to court, he gets his travel allowance in time. If he falls sick, you make sure that he gets reimbursement of medical expenses as early as possible. There are budget constraints, but within those, you do the best that you can. You make sure you, if someone is killed in action, killed in the line of duty, you make sure that he gets whatever he's entitled to and more if possible. 
So these are things that are within uh, the, the capacity of police leaders at different levels. And lastly, I think there has to be closer interface between the officers. See, in the army, for example, and this used to happen in the police also earlier, there used to be very close interaction. And in the police at higher levels, like, for example, in the army, a lieutenant general is not expected to mix with the ranks. He's not expected. He's not expected of direct contact. Similarly, in the police also, direct contact with the ranks probably ends at the level of SP. But at that level, the contact has to be close. If that contact is close, if they see each other, if they work together, you'll you see a, a, a massive difference in the performance, in the morale, and in the delivery of services to the citizen, in the way they behave with citizens. So that's the few points that I had. Now over to Mr. Punus. Thank you, Jento. I am in total agreement with what uh, Jento has said uh, about. I have noted down, because I had more time to marshal my thoughts, I have noted down the points. The first point that I would like to suggest is ensuring that women police are present in every police station. That is, uh, that is absolutely necessary. 75% of our population are women and children. So every police station should have sufficient number of women. I'm not saying about all women police stations. Normal police stations should have the presence of women. This is easily possible if the DGP of the state and the higher officers of the state put their minds to it. This is easily possible. Second thing is, see that any misbehavior with the citizen is punished as seriously as misbehavior with the senior officer. If a policeman or a head constable or a sub-inspector misbehaves with a circle inspector or IG or SP, he is surely punished. But if he misbehaves with a citizen, he is hardly ever punished. This dichotomy must stop. We must punish those people who misbehave with the citizen. Third is promote uh, community policing. Some kind of community policing where police personnel visit the houses of uh, citizens in a fairly reasonable interval, just by strengthening the beat system and ensuring that the persons on the beat are not changed for a fairly long time so that they become familiar with the people in his beat and they interact with the families, the children, the women, all these people. They, so they develop some trust and familiarity with the police constable and the police station. Fourth is digitize registration of crime. Digitize maximum services within the police department. In fact, just yesterday, I read a news item that Mr. Stalin in Tamil Nadu has digitized and published an app for 60 police services. Kerala already has a police app offering 50 police services. So this is easily possible. Digitize a large number of police services. So the accessibility of the police service to the public is made easy. Promote, welcome, free registration of crime. Even if it spoils your statistics by greater number of cases pending or greater number of cases being reported. No statistical analysis to prove that my tenure was better than the predecessor's tenure. Crime is not committed by policemen. Crime is committed by the people. The policeman's efficiency must be judged by the ability of the policeman to take cognizance of a crime which has occurred and not by his ability to avoid the registration of the crime. And sixthly, promotion and uh, pro promotion of ranks, their welfare, on which uh, Chaudhary has elaborated quite considerably, all these are extremely important. Unless the policemen get reasonable sense of responsibility, what was suggested by Mr. Chaudhary is that the educated constabulary or constables with 10 years of service 
they can be entrusted with higher responsibilities, giving higher responsibilities like investigation of small cases, etc., makes him proud of himself, improving promotion chances, seeing that he gets relief, rest, saying that his uh, barracks are good, if their messes, their quality of food is better, they get sufficient rest, they get weekly off. These are matters in which senior officers can take a lot of interest. Maya, I'm so tempted just to mention before your question that yesterday the Home Minister, while responding to the question raised on the new criminal procedure identification bill, argued that this is needed because this will obviate the need for third degree torture. So I'll just stop there. I can send the link to the speech uh, to everyone in case anyone is interested, one could watch that. Thank you. You can ask a question. Thank you. I'm just really impinging on your goodness simply because I have both of you here. But just five minutes more. The things that you mentioned, the five, six things that you mentioned that is well within the bailiwick of all the senior officers, Jayanto and Jacob, why is it not being done? It is simple common sense to look after your own cohort of people and to want that the public should trust you. I'll try to answer this. It is so easy to do. I, I really don't know why people don't do it. Because you just start doing it. Nobody is going to stop you. But the people are going to stop you if you are going to ask for a particular position or post or something like that. But I think if some DGP wants to do it, nobody is going to stop him. Perhaps the people may not want to take the effort. Or they may not have planned for it. You see, many times there may be other priorities which are pressing on the senior officers. They may not have sufficient time. There may be so many issues in the state, so many agitations, so many other priorities which the government identifies before them. So the time available to them may not be sufficient. Unfortunately, policing also suffers from periodic controversies. We become immersed in controversies and defensiveness most of the time. Most of the senior officers' time is taken up like that. So if you want to do something, you require a lot of time and concentrated attention, particularly if it is aimed at improving things. That kind of peace of mind and ease of operations may not be available in a practical situation, in a pragmatic way, to many officers who want to implement reforms. That also is there. And again, there is the internal culture. The internal uh, subculture may also be rebelling against it. Why, why do you want to do it? Did anybody ask you to do it? This question cannot be answered. Subculturally, there is a lot of resistance to change. Why do you want to promote all these people? Suppose somebody wants to, as Jendo did in Assam, if you empower all these constables to investigate cases, it may not be subculturally acceptable. So the desire for change has to be there within the subculture. The desire for change has to be generated by internal discussions and debates. I think that is the primary reason. You know, the way I see it is quite simple. Uh, what Mr. Punu's actually indicated. I mean, how does this help a person's career? Your career is determined by the political power center perceives you. That's it. And in fact, I find when I was with the NSG, I was writing the ACRs of army officers. And there's a very, very clear portion or item over there. What have you done for the welfare of your men and their families? And not only the officers, even their wives. You have to comment on what the officers and their wives have done for the welfare. 
So there's a very, very clear priority given by the institution, by what Mr. Kunus called about the subculture, to look after your men. And maybe it's being diluted now, but I'm sure it's still in the good regiments. But in the police, by and large, nobody cares. If you deliver the results and what normally people do, they keep a small team. They look after a small team who do whatever has to be done. And the bulk, they're just passengers. It doesn't really matter. They do the routine work and nobody really bothers about them. That's what's happening. And I don't know how it changes. There are many exceptions. I was on the board of jurors for the, you know, that uh, there's that uh, Federation of Indian Chambers of Commerce and Industry. They try to identify achievers among police officers and they give an award every year. Mr. Pillay is now the chair. So I was on the board for three years. And it's amazing across the country what young police officers are doing. But they're doing it as individuals. Anyone who's doing anything is doing it because he thinks that it has to be done. I don't think it's part of the institutional culture. And, mm. that, and that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So that was the last question. Thank you, both Jayanto and Jacob, for your time. Great insights from both of you and demystifying what ails the Indian police force and steps that can be taken to build trust and accountability. From the Kerala model, we have seen that change for good is possible. So thank you very much for making time for this conversation. Thank you, Maya, and thank you, Balai, also. Thank you all very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Elephant in the Room podcast brought to you by The Purpose Room in partnership with the India Justice Report. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Thank you.